This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Who wrote the script? Like, how dare ticks become the victim? And that was all about poor me, poor me. I had the same feeling at the same time, just before Andrew Cuomo, the New York governor, actually fell on his sword and resigned. It's been hard. It's the way I am. I'm affectionate with people. Poor me, poor me. No, it's not your story. It's not your story, Andrew. It's not your story, Tex. Just remember, Taylor Walker is a hero in South Australia, one of the biggest names in South Australia, a wealthy, protected species, a football star. And this trainer had the bravery to go to the club and he reported him, and that took enormous bravery. I really find myself drawn each night when the news is on to Dr Kerry Chant, who's the Chief Health Officer in New South Wales. There is a woman who just delivers the news with compassion, but with facts and science behind her. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 184 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie, we're back in lockdown. How are you going? What can you say? It's just complete Groundhog Day. I'm beyond angry now. It's, it's, res- it's just resigned to this constant state, thinking of our friends and family in Sydney and hoping everybody is okay up there because at least in Victoria, Caro, I feel, I feel there's a plan. But in Sydney, as the figures keep going up and up, I just wonder, and it's now spreading, of course, all around regional, I just wonder how they're all going. So lots of love to our Sydney listeners. Yeah, look, um, we also want to say thank you to Red Energy, of course, Corrie. 100% Australian electricity and gas. We'll be opening up the cocktail cabinet later in the show, thanks to Prince Wine Store. I'd love to send a cheerio to our darling friends from the Outer Sanctum, who are finally back on the airwaves again. So looking forward to getting into that. And I just miss them so much. I don't know about you, Corrie. I have missed them enormously. And I'm really glad that the girls have, have stuck to their guns, remained resolved in their uh, commitment to their show and the team that they have, the lineup and the whole thing. So go girls and may you go from strength to strength. More women in footy, I say. And particularly pertinent at the moment with so many diversity issues um, hogging the headlines and the fact that we've you know, got big news too about the expansion of the AFLW. Anyway, Corrie, you've had your first week or so without the bookshop and um, you've had a triumphant event, which we're going to talk about when we get on to BSF. Um, is there anyone else you would like to apologise, anyone at all you would like to apologise <laughs> to before we kick off? No, I don't think so. I don't think I mucked up anything too much last week. If I did, I'm sure people will let me know. What about you? No, look, I've just... um, Look, it it is a bit of Groundhog Day, you're right. Um, As we sit here today, not looking at each other, um, the sun is out, which is lovely. I've obviously... I'm pretty snowed under with work because football has been bigger than ever and so many stories dominating the headlines. And, um, you know, there is a whiff of spring in the air, which is sort of brightening my mood just a little bit. But, gee, there have been a lot of cancellations. And I'm really glad I crammed so much into that. Will we sort of nine days, nine days of freedom? I think that's all yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I think it was all it was. Um, Carol, as you know, I was supposed to be at Rosie and Tom's wedding next week in Byron Bay. Uh, this incredibly wonderful couple who are so committed to the idea of having friends and family uh, from Queensland and Victoria come together at the beautiful Byron Bay. They're committed to go ahead. They've put it back to 2022. This is the third time that they've had to move the date. And to all the people who are planning weddings, significant birthdays, um, and had plans dashed for the big celebration, don't think, oh, look, we won't have it. You will have it. We will be able to all get together at some point. And boy, is it going to be a party? (laughs) Yeah. Look, it, you, it will be. I, I think this t- this one has hit people particularly hard, even Victoria. Um, it, it's beyond saying that the novelty has worn off. But the other thing is, I think people are now starting to analyse this pandemic in the context of their lives. You know, I was 
you know, someone said to me the other day, a good friend said to me, her daughter was 26 when it started, you know, she might be 29 when it finishes. You know, that's a, that feels like a long time, probably not so much for me, who was 59 when it started and will probably be 62 when we start to see the end of it. But um, I think there are certain ages that really struggle more than others and you feel as though, you know, no one, the best years of your life can be any time, but, but that is the real kick in the guts at the moment. Is there any, is there any new coping mechanism that you've um, found in the, this last one? Well, I've, I'm trying to do things, breaking up the day a bit more. And, I, and, and this is all because, Caro, I have the luxury of time now. I have to say that I'm not working in, in a bookshop and trying to keep a business alive during lockdown. So this is a very different lockdown for me. And I am not resorting to making sourdough bread and cleaning up the linen press. I stress, uh, but uh, and, it, and it's still with a loaf of sourdough. <laughs> I feel like delivering it to my house. Well, well, I just uh, I just have found this such a different lockdown, and 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 funnily enough, in a way, it was probably if you're going to have to have a lockdown for me personally, coming straight off the bookshop and going into lockdown has been uh, enforced rest, which is great, and enforced thinking time about what's the next step. But I've tried to break my diary or my day up into blocks, so exercising three times a day, trying to break up the day into like 45-minute or one-hour lots. So there's, okay, time to go down to the shops and get some shopping and food for dinner. Uh, some reading time. Uh, okay, I'm going to work now. I'm going to spend an hour on this work thing. I'm going to spend 45 minutes doing my emails and phone messages and whatever it is. And I just find that the routine, I know it's, it's we, we say this if, with every lockdown, but if everybody can get into a routine of some sort, I do think it helps our, our mental um, state somewhat. It, 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 there's just something quite comforting in a routine, don't you find? Oh, completely. Yeah, it, it, completely. And, and my routine is probably, um, I, I suppose, the punctuation marks are around work commitments and um, the, odd, yeah, the odd little piece of escape, obviously cooking, obviously gardening, although I've sort of lost a bit of, um, there was a little bit less spirit in all of that. But now, now we're feeling like there might be a bit of spring. Maybe I'll get that back. And I've got to say, you know, the old online bridge has been a godsend. <laughs> now, um, is, well, is there anyone anything, who's... Any, any sort of online activity, I think, is, is really good too. People are now very comfortable with Zooms and webinars. And, and, and if you do have an opportunity to partake in one, uh, yeah, in some sort of activity, uh, by all means, you know, go for it. Gosh, I would be really recommending that. Is there anyone who stood out for you in terms of leadership? In a good or yeah, bad this way. Yeah, this time around. Yeah, this time around, it's been so interesting, Carol. I'm really, I really find myself drawn each night when the news is on to Dr. Kerry Chant, who's the chief health health officer in New South Wales. Um, there is a woman who, who just uh, just delivers the news uh, in it with with compassion, but with uh, with facts and science behind her, and in a way that I think it, it, it's, it's very direct, her message. I find Gladys often is trying to hedge her bets and is trying to be uh, a bit motherhood in her statement. And in fact, all people want actually is facts, information and what's being done, you know, and, and some sort of this is, this is where we're heading. I find Kerry Chant terrific. And also the WA Premier, Mark McGowan, yet again. I mean, he told, he's, he's just, he has, he has so much courage. He told the National Cabinet this week that um, New South Wales, for goodness sake, we don't want you risking the lives of citizens and everyone else by not attempting to drive cases down to zero. Good on you. But I tell you what, an unexpected leader emerged this week for me, Carol. I've been following Bruce Kebau. Uh, you would know Bruce. A lot of people know Bruce. He's the head of the big group uh, with his wife, Chica, who, of course, is a media identity. But Bruce... Uh, who was her, photoshopped um, in one of those mean housewives... By one of those mean housewives the other day. Anyway, oh, we I shouldn't didn't even, know that. Uh, it, was in, it was in the papers today. In the papers today. Go on. Uh, well, Bruce did this uh, on, Insta on his Instagram account, which now has thousands of followers. He did a, a plea to camera. It was essentially a letter to 
Daniel Andrews and Martin Foley, the health minister, Brett Sutton and so on, saying, look, we're, we're, running, this, we're, we're, we're running the risk of, of Victoria becoming a society of the affected and the unaffected, the affected by the, by the virus and the unaffected, the people who are doing the sourdough linen press having quite a nice time. And he speaks on behalf, of course, of everybody in hospitality, the restaurant industry, and of course, major events, at which in Victoria, as we know, is a, is a is a big revenue generator and his thing his thing was look there are two roads you can go government one is just to say we're closing off every event until april 22 let's shut down the crowds and then at least the industry has something to work with we have a plan we won't like it but we'll respect it and he says the other option is why aren't we introducing rapid antigen testing a 10 minute 10 dollar test and it can mitigate the risk of patrons inside large environments or large events. And he used the MCG, you know, grand final, as an example of how uh, how the industry, the hospitality industry, might might work with the government on that. And hospitality is not just caterers and waiting staff and so on, Caro. As we know, it's the marquee hiring people. It's the sound and light people. It's the, you know, this, the people who have companies that provide seating. All of these industries, florists, I mean, they've all been decimated. And and I just think Bruce had a really important message and I would love to see him on a bigger platform. Well, I think he has been. I think he's been working really closely with Visit Victoria. Um, a few weeks ago on Footy Classified, Eddie um, broke the story of what he's trying to do to get people at the grand final. Obviously, a bit of a setback at the moment and... All, I think 17 of the 18 club bosses said the other day when they had a hook-up with Gillan McLaughlin that they'd probably rather the grand final was played in front of a big crowd than at the MCG in front of no crowd. Um, maybe Melbourne's Gary Pert was pretty keen to stay at the MCG and who could blame him? But um, this rapid testing is one of the ways forward, as is vaccination. And I'm happy to report I'm having my last one in two days' time. So I'm very oh, excited about that. And mine next week. So there you are. Everybody should really take note of, um, of, of any opportunity they have to have the first or second jab. Go for it. I couldn't agree more, Caro. And the other, the more. only other, the other, the other group. I, look, there's so many people. I mean, obviously, you feel sorry, so sorry for the homeschoolers who are really struggling, the people who live in really, really small places, those you know who are already living in maybe bullying or abusive relationships, and of course the arts community. I got my sad email from the Australian Ballet the other day that. All the shows have been called off for this year. We'll find out soon. You know, they've been put off, they've been put off, they've been put off, and now they're off. Um, and, you know, I, I, that just is devastating to me. And, you know, friends, dear friends of mine, musicians who've had to cancel shows, you know, it might sound like a frivolous thing, but um, you just wonder how many of them will come back from this. So, obviously, um, not a great time, but... Let's hope with spring comes more vaccinations and less COVID numbers and some form of summer that we can all celebrate. Agree, agree. And Caro, is there any kind of light relief at the moment? I know this is a very serious topic and we're not, we're not making light of it, but is there anything about this lockdown that has brought you joy or a good old laugh? Well, I'm spending a lot of time with little Queenie, my beautiful Labrador, who's a very naughty little puppy, as you know. I'm spending a lot of time with my husband and, you know, we seem to be getting on all right. <laughs> is that and, like um, relief? <laughs> and, um, you know, going for beautiful walks. Look, it is, it is the same pretty much as last time. And, you know, again, you know, I don't want to sound smug, but blessed in the knowledge that I've got a heap of stuff to do that I work in an industry that is obviously very much hurt by this, but um, the media, but is going on and obviously covering an industry that is very much hurt by this, but is going on and there are some great stories going. So it's more than light relief and a fantastic new TV. Well, an interesting new TV show that I'm going to talk about in BSF. Obviously, Stan, Netflix, ABC iView, SBS, you know, they're the things that are, you know, causing a great deal of happiness in my life. Do you want to know what my light relief is or has what? been in the last couple of days? I have been puppy shopping online. Oh, well, I we have, can talk I puppies have... soon, Corrie. <laughs> we can. I've put a deposit. Um, she's, she hasn't been born yet, but um, in the next couple of weeks we might have some news. 
Well, won't that be a happy day? I look forward to oh, introducing him or her to Queenie. Is it going to be a boy or a girl? Well, I, we've asked for a girl. It, so this particular litter, it, had, it depends how things unfold. But we're hoping for a girl, Caro. Although I know when, when we are waiting for babies, we should never really be trying to determine the sex. Be happy with what we've got. But, um, yeah, we'll, well I think see it's what a, happens. It's a bit different, bit different with dogs, I think, to human beings. <laughs> I, I think it is slightly different. They have different behavioural issues and different... Anyway, we don't need to Ka- go there. Carol, you, you mentioned footy. It's been a huge week. And, of course, the story... Well, the topic, indeed, the issue that just doesn't seem to go away. My God, it takes me back to when I was editing the footy record back in the mid-90s when the first racial vilification rules came in from the AFL. We've got had this extraordinary story with Taylor Walker... Um, and his racial slur at an SA NFL match. Tell us how that's unfolded as you've seen it and what's going to be the outcome. Well, well, it's still raging. And it's funny that you mentioned the mid-90s because, of course, one of the, um, the AFL official who, who ran that at the time and who did such an amazing job in understanding the pain of Indigenous footballers was Tony Peake, the late, great Tony Peake. And, in fact, this vilification rule is named after him. It, the, it's the Peake rule. And it was, the point was made at the CEO's conference that I talked about um, the other day with Gillan McLaughlin that that first case saw Damien Monkhorst from Collingwood fined, for, fined and suspended for four weeks. Well, he was certainly suspended for four weeks. Taylor Walker was suspended for six weeks. And, look, it's not all about punishment, as many Indigenous leaders and others have said, I mean, and including Michael O'Loughlin, who gave a great interview on 3AW the other day. But where have we come when you've gone from four weeks to six weeks? Damien Monkhorst, he did the wrong thing. But he had no education, no understanding of the pain he was causing. Taylor Walker is a former AFL club captain who has had every opportunity, who is in his early 30s, who has been thoroughly educated year in, year out about racial vilification. And yet he still... It was, it was racism by proxy. So he went up to an Adelaide Crows teammate who was playing for North Adelaide and... Sorry, playing for um, the reserves team and told him to, well, he, he called, he, he referred to um, young, to, to Robbie Young as the Black Sea and he oh. gave him instructions as to how to treat him. It was sort of racism by proxy. Um, Adelaide did the right thing, the Adelaide Crows, they self-reported to the AFL and they, the peak rule was swung into action. A lot of crit- criticism from some sections, certainly the Adelaide media where I work on 5AA, that the age should never have broken this story. Absolute poppycock, of course they Why? Have to. Why should they not have... Why, because what, because if Taylor counts? Walker was innocent, his reputation had been ruined. And the right. particular commentator who I work with, Stephen Rowe, a former Crows player, said, you know, his understanding was that Taylor would be proven to be innocent. Very telling, because um, my understanding is the opinion I've formed from talking to a lot of people involved in this is that Taylor initially denied it, denied that he'd done it, which made it more difficult. Other witnesses then came forward and it was quite clear he had done it. He finally fessed up, um, took his punishment, filmed that incredibly uncomfortable apology video, which was run on all the newses and the footy shows on Monday night, where Robbie Young, the footballer, who'd been vilified, sat behind him. Taylor read from a script, oh, look, you know, a lot of work, a lot of words about how his his mental health is in real strife and he's really struggling and he's traumatised. Frankly, um, I'm far more concerned for the the five Indigenous Adelaide Crows players who have this person as a teammate and are now wondering, you know, are now wondering whether... um, when they've heard laughter in the past and when conversations have carried on in the past, what was actually being said. It's a terrible story and made worse by the fact that it was done by a senior leader who should have known better. He's been suspended, as I said, for six weeks. Um, Can't see him myself coming back. I just think he's been too damaged and others have been at the club, have been so hurt by this that they're going to really find it hard to play alongside him. 
You know what I hated about that video, Caro, that uh, that Tex posted with Robbie beside him? And I gather Robbie, um, that was all completely agreed to and it was all fine. But the way Yes, Tex... although a lot of Indigenous leaders disagreed with him doing it. So well, I think so too. And, over that. But also, Tex is... T- who wrote the script? Like, how dare Tex become the victim? And that I was know. all about poor me, poor me. I had the same feeling at the same time... Um, just before Andrew Cuomo, the uh, New York governor, actually fell on his sword and resigned. But all of the slur and innuendo and um, allegations of sexual misconduct with him, he, in one, in one uh, news conference I heard, he presented himself as the victim. You know, it's been hard. It's the way I am. I'm affectionate with people. It, am I to be punished for this? This is the way I do business. Poor me, poor me. No, it's not your story. It's not your story, Andrew. It's not your story, Tex. Yeah, and some really unfortunate responses from some key media figures. I mean, obviously, Mark Rusciuto, who's on the Crows board, his his response was really talking about casual racism and we might laugh about it, but we shouldn't sort of thing, compared with Matthew Nix, a coach who was clearly traumatised and very upset by this. Haven't heard much from John Olson, the new chairman of the Crows, who's a former Premier of South Australia. He's written but has not spoken. Um, Players Association... And that term, casual racism, sorry to interrupt, but that term really gives me the irrits too. Racism is racism. It it was first coined um, by Heretia Lumumba when he was talking about the Eddie Maguire... um, the Eddie Maguire, Adam Goods issue. Um, and uh, you sort of knew what he was trying to say, but this is so different. And, um, yeah, as, as we keep, as I keep saying, and some of the people I work with, I've found I've really struggled with their response to sort of talk about, you know, Tex is traumatised, Tex this, Tex that. No, no, forget about Tex. This is not about him anymore. It's about trying to help those who have been traumatised by what he's done. And, you know, the point I sort of made the other day on Footy Classified was that how would Indigenous Australians feel when an educated footballer who has stood alongside Eddie Betts and called for football, uh, for football supporters who vilified Eddie Betts to be banned for life, how yeah. do they feel when he says this? What, is the re- what hope have they got? You know, it's just... Um, and, and the other thing, it, it also highlights how little a voice Indigenous Australia has in our football media. Tony Armstrong from the ABC and has worked a bit on Fox footy, has been fantastic, but very few and far between. So um, we need more Indigenous voices. You know, I just feel uncomfortable sometimes even talking about this. And I've been talking to a lot of Indigenous leaders within football and there's just there's spot fires everywhere, Corey. I mean, the West Australian Football Commission, this has all just come out, have just signed a deal, a, a multi-million dollar sponsorship deal with Rio Tinto, who obviously have absolutely devastated, devastated the Indigenous community by what they've done, by blowing up sacred gorges. The AFL has dropped them, and yet the West Australian Footy Commission has signed a deal with them. Now, how on earth do they justify that? So, yeah, a lot of work to do. I think the AFL are really trying to form a much better response this time than they did with Adam Goods. And I guess it's a bit of a watch this space. Caro, it is a watch this space and it's not going away. Good luck with the coverage of that. Really, I don't know about you, but I feel like I need a drink. It's another 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 light relief, isn't it, from um, being in lockdown? Yes, it's time for the cocktail cabinet with Miles Thompson. Welcome, Miles Thompson, who is going to take us this week to the Yarra Valley. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought we'd talk about some not so weird and wonderful things going on, but I guess a diff- some different winemaking and some some different blends that people maybe may not have tried or or uh, haven't heard of, or the, the first one is uh, from a winemaker called Dom Valentine. The wines are called Valentine, and it's a Sauvignon Blanc. I know we all know Sauvignon Blanc, but this is uh, spends three months on skins. So they, it's a white wine, obviously, Sauvignon Blanc, and he just leaves it on skins, and it gives us this wonderful, funky sort of texture, um, this really lovely kind of grit and 
bit of extra weight to Savignon Blanc and just gives kind of knocks some of those really those really sort of lifted aromatics out of the Savignon Blanc and gives it this lovely sort of savoury edge. Um, it's a My, really I, interesting I am, wine. I am salivating as you discuss this, Miles. It sounds <laughs> absolutely beautiful. It's really good. You know, the, you see it a lot in that sort of natural wine movement and all the sort of hipster wines sort of coming out. And, you know, it's 50-50. People who are really good and get it right, it can be really fantastic, and these are one of those wines. It can sometimes be too much in a wine, like anything, too much oak or too much of whatever. Um, but this is really well done. Yeah, lovely textural, savoury-style Sauvignon Blanc. It's, it's really delicious. It, um, Sauvignon Blanc's taken a hit in recent years, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it has all those super sort of tutti fruity styles from from Marlborough sort of have fallen a bit out of fashion. And what you're finding is is particularly here in Australia, winemakers that are using Sauvignon Blanc, and there is quite a lot in the era, are trying to do some different things with it. So whether that's put it through oak or give it some skin contact, and they're trying to knock some of the Sauvignon Blanc out of the Sauvignon Blanc. I guess you could put it that way. <laughs> well, it sounds delicious. And what is that going to set us back, Miles? So that's, that's $30, and then, of course, um, the auditors get 10% off when they enter the code um, MEWS um, at checkout if you go through the Prince Wineshaw website. So you'll get an extra 10% off that. And where are we going to head in the Yarra Valley next? So next we're going to go to Medhurst, and I think I talked about it a while ago, the, the really beautiful winery to visit. Um, and the winemaker there, Simon Steele, is a real, real, real talent as well. And so he's really sort of taken Medhurst to the next level. But several years back, he bought uh, out to the market, along with a couple of other Yarra producers and some other producers around Australia, a Pinot Shiraz blend, um, which is kind of unusual, but for Australia historically in the 50s and 60s, particularly out of the Hunter, was a really typical blend. And those old ones from the Hunter are really sought after. They're really famous. And uh, they're sort of uh, coming back into fashion. So there's a number of Yarra producers doing it, but he was, Simon's probably one of a few of the first to sort of get it back, and there's quite a a few now making it. Caro, a couple of weeks ago, I asked Miles and Gab to put together uh, a little bundle yet again, me shopping at Prince Wine Store, and... um, the Methurst was in there. The Methurst Pinot was in there, Miles. It was absolutely fabulous. I'd never tried it. Indeed, I'd never heard of the winery. Um, uh, and it, and it's just um, it's just it's it's now on my kind of list of must reorder. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, can we visit either of these vineyards and actually try them at the cellar door, or are they not cellar doors? Uh, yeah, the the, the Medhurst cellar door is, is really beautiful. The, the property itself is, is gorgeous, and they I think they have a chef there now, obviously once they're back open. They used to just do kind of um, charcuterie boards and things, but it's it's beautiful. So they have a lovely cellar door you can go visit. Dom Valentine stuff, he's a quite a small sort of indie winemaker. Um, I don't think he has a cellar door. Um, you know, he doesn't really make a lot and, and sort of, uh, works and bits and you know around wherever he makes his wine, um, so I don't I don't think he has one unfortunately. But great guy, um, I'm sure if you got in contact with him, he'd be happy to see you though. Wonderful. So we have um, Medhurst, Medhurst of course, and the Dom Valentine, or we call it the Dom Valentine Sauvignon Blanc. Which yeah, Corey, that does sound nice. I think it's time to give Sav Blanc a go. After we we absolutely deserve, we turned our back on Sav Blanc. Quite a few yes, years ago, we did. We said it was. It had become quite, um, quite common. Yeah. Remember, we, oh, uh, remember when Shaw and Smith was just, or as as, um, as you said, Miles, all the ones from New Zealand that were absolute, you know, go tos. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's amazing what New Zealand did as far as that's concerned. They really sort of, you know, certainly made that varietal super super popular. Yeah, I think people got a bit a bit bored with it. So, yeah, some some of the more savvy winemakers, and, and there's um, there's a bunch of producers now, yeah, that do it. I mean, even Crawford, we were talking about last week. They do a, I think a Sauvignon Blanc blend and put and um, B puts it into barrel and does some bits and pieces and a bit of contact skin contact. And it's fantastic too. So, you're seeing a bit of that here in Australia, certainly. 
Well, they're two great tips. Um, th thank you very much, Miles. Um, did we ask you um, what we um, pay for the Medhurst? No, so the Medhurst is 37 a bottle for the Pinot Shiraz. And then, yeah, you, again, you'll get your 10% off with the uh, code MEFFS as well. So just remember to use that code at checkout online, M-E-S-S, to receive your listener discount. You'll find the links, of course, in our show notes. And that was the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. Bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. Now, we have Crush of the Week time for Red Energy. Thank you, Red Energy, and another one of our wonderful sponsors, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas. Caro, over to you for the crush. Well, it's um, an extension of the topic we covered earlier in the show, Corrie, but... Um, and I don't know his name and I don't want to know his name. I'll probably learn it at some point. But that is the Adelaide official who actually overheard what Taylor Walker said and had the bravery to report it to the club. Because just remember, Taylor Walker is a hero in South Australia, one of the biggest names in South Australia, a wealthy, protected species and a football champ, a football star. And this trainer had the bravery to go to the club and apparently he, you know, I think he might have even given Taylor a chance to um, step back, but that didn't happen and he reported him and that took enormous bravery. It um, could have lowered him in the standing of all Taylor's teammates and yet he did the right thing and the Crows in turn, not a great recent Indigenous history after the way the Indigenous players were treated at that camp. And obviously Andrew McLeod's had a major falling out with the club. This, this official had the bravery to report it in the first place. And as they say, you know, evil doesn't happen when good men, good men actually stand up and do something about it. Yep, too so, true. That, I think that's a great crush. Enormous bravery when you consider... Um, you, when you consider the the legend, I suppose, that is Tex. Um, now, Caro, BSF. Yeah, well, before I um, tell you about my book, I want to hear about how your new career is going. And, you know, as you know, your wonderful recommendation, Still Life, which still resonates with me, um, it, I reckon that's my book of the year. You did an event with Sarah Winman the other day. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, we did. We did. So we, it, obviously it was a webinar because she is in London, but it was also helped, I think, by the fact that Melbourne and Sydney are in lockdown at the moment. There aren't a lot of uh, social events on the calendar for any of us. And we had uh, 150 people sign up, Caro. We had an audience out there of 150 people who had either read the book or were thinking of reading it or just love a good old author chat. 6 p.m. they all tuned in. It was 9 a.m. Sarah's time in London. And we had a fantastic hour, all of us together. Uh, the gang were great because it's very interactive. They can send questions and observations. The question that uh, was most, or the answer that everybody wanted to put forward when I asked Sarah if there was to be a BBC series or indeed a film of Still Life, who did she think or who would she like to play Evelyn Skinner, the ageing art historian, possibly a spy, who knows? Uh, everybody just fed in. Everybody from Judy Maggie Dench Smith. to, to <laughs> Ma Ma Miriam Margolis. I mean, everybody was had something to say about that. It was so fun to see these messages coming through. Sarah said later she was absolutely thrilled with the event. She said to me that it was the biggest event thus far that she has had to discuss still life because, as we know, London's been in lockdown until recently. So she hasn't really had a chance to hit the uh, literary festivals, hay festival and all of that kind of thing. But I'm sure she'll be on the publicity road now. But um, I, we were very honoured to have her there. And it was just great. And so it gave me enormous faith in a week when I've been thinking, gosh, what is the future? to actually really uh, appreciate that the bookshop as a bricks and mortar building, as I said last week, uh, may have gone, but our community continues and we're bigger than just a, a retail space and everybody's connected. And I have to say a big thank you to the Don't Shoot the Messenger listeners who jumped on board last week and started following Corrie is reading on Instagram 
goodness gracious, you gang are amazing. I just watched it. You know, another new follower, another new follower. I can't tell you the joy it brought me just when you're feeling you're a bit of a failure in one part of your life, being the closure of the bookshop, to have everybody jump on board. But Sarah was great. And so thank you to all of those messengers who, who jumped uh, jumped on board again um, to watch the podcast, to watch the webinar with us. Caro, uh, Sarah Winman is an actor. And in her early years, she was in a number of shows that you and I love, like the Bill Prime Suspect and so on. But she also had a stint in Midsummer Murders. So, of course, I had to ask her about Midsummer Murders. Yeah. So she says that, it's, I said, is it fun? She said, look, there is a bit of a laugh behind the scenes. How many dead bodies can one town cope with? Honestly, there would be no one left in the entire population of the region if, if in fact, if in fact over a but period of fifteen years, she wasn't years, a regular in the show, was she? She just no, she wasn't. Guests. She did yeah. a guest, she did a guest gig, and she wasn't knocked off either. She wasn't murdered, but uh, she really loved it. And she said the wonderful thing about Midsummer Murders is it provides good solid work for uh you know as we know a host a host of wonderful british actors and in fact they receive a royalties every time their episode is replayed which is fantastic so a really good economic model behind that but yeah we loved Sarah yeah, like she was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it was great to have her on board and um yeah it was a real thrill but you have another book that you have been reading that you want to tell us about Yes, I have. And before I do, I just want to highly recommend um, Anna from the Op Shop's recommendation from a couple of weeks ago, which was Early Morning Riser. The most wonderful book. Made me laugh out loud. Had some very sad moments. A beautiful story. Highly, highly recommend it. But I'm reading The Guest List by Lucy Foley, recommended to me by my lovely friend Legs, who said this is just... His Legs is Irish. And she... It, and she also has very life. good legs, can I just say? Yeah, she does. Legs by name, legs by nature. Um, she is a voracious reader, loves your bookshop and will love your events, I'm sure, Corrie. But um, she told me about this book, The Guest List, a great... It's a murder mystery. It's set on a remote island off the coast of Ireland, the country. Look, um, my mother read it before me. We bought it from your shop. I've got to say... Mum, mum was a little bit disappointed. So you know when your mother's a bit disappointed in something, it's when they don't like one. It's like when they don't like one of your friends. Yes, you know, I know you that sort of going. Yeah, you Although my mother never said that about you, Carol. She adored you, as you know. <laughs> well, that's very nice, Corrie. And you know, mum, um, you know, mum is the same. But th this is an island um, known as Innes and Amplora. I mean, the island itself is fascinating. It's um, the scene is set. At, it's a wedding. I have to be honest. I haven't actually finished it because I finally had to drag it away from Mum the other day. And I'm, they're still setting up all the characters: the beautiful bride, who is a very glamorous magazine editor; the beautiful groom, who is a reality TV star, who has a past; um, the wedding planner and her part and her partner, who live on the island. The um, the very fragile younger half-sister of the bride, the boozy, bad-behaving mother. You know, it, there's a bit of Agatha Christie about it and, of course, the best friend of the bride who is a male and his wife. But, you know, it, 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 it lacks a bit of nuance, I've got to say, and yet people who finished it say it's just a great read, you can't put it down, and I certainly can't put it down. I would like a bit more nuance. I would like a bit less overstating the obvious, but I guess that's a bit Agatha Christie too, isn't it? And a bit Midsummer Murders. Um, so I'll keep you posted, but everyone says that this is one of the great lockdown escapes, the guest list by Lucy Foley. And it walked off your bookshelves, didn't it? It did walk off the bookshelves. In fact, I think I might have sold a copy to your mum. From well, that's the one. Yes, that's where she got it. Carol, um, there's so, so much great. There is so much great literature coming out, fiction coming out between now and um, the end of the year. And a couple just to mention: that Sally Rooney uh, has has of normal people fame has a, a new one coming out in September. Colm Toybean, the Irish writer who you and I love, has another one coming out. Uh, there's just uh, honestly it is just it's an embarrassment of riches we will be reading our buns off now Corrie we moved to screen I obviously haven't been to the movies I've finished this three-parter and I think you've just started it 
It's on um, Amazon Prime and it is the newest remake of my, one of my absolute favourite, favourite novels, The Pursuit of Love, the Nancy mm. Mitford novel. This is an Emily, Mortar, Emily Mortimer production. She's, she's sort of totally produced, I think, and directed and stars as the bolter in this edition of The Pursuit of Love. It also stars Lily James as the beautiful, ill-fated Linda. It is just um, a fascinating adaptation of, well, tell me, tell me what your um, thoughts are so far. Well, like you, I'm a huge fan of The Pursuit of Love was the first of a trilogy Nancy Mitford wrote. The novel was published in 1945, very loosely based on her own family experience. The Mitfords, a rather eccentric, incredibly well-known uh, and high-achieving uh, English family, uh, aristocratic family, and... Nancy has written this story placing Fanny Logan as the narrator and Fanny is the daughter of a woman called the Bolter who just literally bolted off, left Fanny with the cousins and bolted off with, with another lover, another lover. No yeah, relationship. Left her, left her with her sister Emily, in fact. Yes, who, um, that's right. Yes, who, yes, yeah. that's right. And then Emily would often go to the Radlett home. Their group of children who called themselves the, the Hons uh, after the Honourables, um, and the Hons used to meet in the linen cupboard and have these family meetings. Linda was the second sister, and as she watched her older sister Louisa um, marrying and all the romance of a wedding and everything, Linda, who was a just an incurable romantic, to use that hackneyed phrase. She, of course, is incredibly jealous, envious, and all she wants to do is fall in love. And this book, The Pursuit of Love, is Fanny watching her beloved cousin wrestle with love and what it means. So I watched it with mum, and obviously she's read The Pursuit of Love so many times. You know, my daughters have read it. We've all laughed and cried. It navigates through the Spanish Civil War, World War II in England, the English countryside, London during the Blitz, Paris, where, of course, um, Linda meets the wonderful Fabrice. Some of the characters, because we know them so well, are a bit surprising. Dominic West, as Uncle Matthew, seems too young. But then I think, well, I guess when we read it, you know, the, the children who we read about, like Fanny and Linda, started out as being, you know, 17, 18. So I guess characters like Davy, who Aunt Emily marries, and the Bolter, played by Emily Mortimer, weren't that old. Um, it's beautifully set. I mean, it's very richly filmed. And don't it's you very... love the kind of the new romantics-esque soundtrack? I yeah. love this whole... Um, very rock and roll, isn't it? Oh, Lord, sometimes... Lord Merlin and the... Oh, I know. Close your eyes sometimes and it could be Adam and the Ants. Another time it could be the Eurythmics. It's just got that real kind of early 80s feel about it. But it's, it is beautifully done and it does have a strong sense of place and self. I'm really loving it. I, I've... I've always loved these books. Love in a Cold Climate was the next one. And then, of course, the hilarious Don't Tell Alfred. Um, there was also one there in, in there somewhere, The Blessing. I'm never sure where, where that sort of appeared. I can't remember. Yes. But I do that, think... That's um, also by Nancy. You're right. I, th I think that Alfred, there's a bit much of Fanny and Alfred in this. As Mum said, you know, they're very much bit players in the actual Very novel, much. Very um, much. And, and I, the other thing I would say is, as good as Lily James is, I think she had a bit of a fling with Dominic West, didn't she? That was a bit of a scandal I that don't, came out of... I don't know. Yeah. You always seem to know the scandals. I, well, I, I have never come across... filmed in Rome together. But, but she reminds... Or, I felt Rose Byrne, who played that um, in, in my, another favourite one, I Capture the Castle, there's a little bit of overacting. And as much as I love Lily James, certainly at the beginning, she gets better as she goes on. Yeah. But look, it's certainly worth a watch. It's just and, and oh, Emily Beecham, Emily Beecham Carroll, who plays Fanny, uh, who starts like she's she's the rather sort of plain, scholarly, uh, a gorgeous character, but seen in in, in comparison with. Linda, uh, the exotic Linda, Fanny's seen as somewhat plain and dull. But who is Emily Beecham? I have never come across her before. No, I'm not sure. Well, again, Mum said she's far too beautiful. You know, that's not the point of Fanny at all. That's what Mum said. But anyway, <laughs> that's true. And I am it, loving, uh, am loving Freddie Fox's Tony Krosig. Gee, he is a he is a character to watch. Freddie Fox. He is uh, he is a real actor on the ascent. 
Now, Corey, anyway, so that's a pursuit of love. Highly recommend it, even if you think it's not quite true to the original book by Nancy Midford. It's on Amazon Prime. Now, we're going to do food, Corrie, inspired by um, Clem did a family cooking class online the other night and did her Café de Paris butter as a steak top. Well, it was a whole recipe, which I'll give. But it made us think we'd talk about steak toppings we love. You can kick it off. <laughs> steak toppings. Well, this, this one I did on... Um I can't remember what night now because it just every day blends into another day. It might have been Sunday. It might have been Monday night. Caro, this this is a tried and tested and loved uh, mushroom recipe for this time of year when mushrooms are everywhere and you get so many different varieties. And it can be used as a vegetarian sauce for, for a penne pasta or something like that. And I can't even remember where I first gathered it, but it's been in the recipe book. So a couple of tablespoons of butter and um, some olive oil and slice up an onion. I sometimes use a red onion because we always have more of them than the others. That doesn't matter. That actually I think gives it quite a good taste. And then uh, you add, cook the onions until they're soft, add the mushrooms and pour a bit of white wine over them, probably about half a cup, maybe a bit more. And then you simmer until that liquid has reduced and then you can stir in half a cup of cream. Being a bit of aware of uh, dietary issues at the moment, I used low-fat yogurt, which I think uh, is absolutely fine. It doesn't detract from the taste, but obviously cream would be super delicious. And then just heaps of herbs, parsley, um, chives, whatever you have. But make sure you put in that oregano. If you can't get fresh oregano, get one of the... You can get those, you know, those big kind of plastic bags caro of the long uh, dried oregano yeah dried oregano the big long ones they keep forever but i think that's the truest one of the truest sort of flavors of oregano that you can get you just crush the crush the little leaves and pop them in and um and yeah and then we just pop that we just pop that on the steak and it was absolutely beautiful and as i said it's a really good recipe for um you know for, for vegetarian dishes but the key to it of course this particular weekend was the choice of mushrooms and using three including shiitake just using three different mushrooms i think just gives it that that completeness that real richness and that of course is only an autumn or winter dish so how was your uh, cafe sounds de, de paris yeah, it was delicious. How's the your Café de, de Paris? The Café de Paris or Paris butter um, is a great recipe. And you can also use it, Clem assures us, on many things, including, you know, a piece of salmon or a whole fish. But it's fabulous on steak. So it was. it's basically one scotch fillet steak per person. Mum and I just went halves in ours and um, sent hers over to her. And Brendan had a whole one. But um, And all we ate it with was green beans, and which are basically tossed in a little bit of olive oil, lemon juice and salt and pepper. But the actual butter is um, you make you get 150 grams of unsalted butter and leave it all day. So it's soft. A mixture of chives, tarragon and parsley. Um, and if you've only got one available, go for the parsley. One shallot, one clove garlic, one tablespoon capers, the ones in vinegar, two anchovy fillets two teaspoons Worcestershire sauce, one teaspoon of curry powder and some lemon juice. Curry and, powder? Um, yes, I know. Now, you basically, they, they, you basically mix all that up into the butter. The lemon, um, am I trying to, is there any lemon? I think the lemon's actually for the beans, but we did put some lemon rind into the butter. And then you basically just make a log and wrap it up in um, baking paper and tie it at both ends with either rubber bands or string, kitchen string. And then every time, and put it in the freezer. So every time you want to spice up a meal, whether it be um, a piece of salmon or a piece of other sort of fish or steak, you just put a slice of this beautiful butter on top. Absolutely delicious. Miss Jane, I'll send you the ingredients, but that log of beautiful Cafe de Paris butter will keep in the freezer for three months and, according to my daughter, the fridge for a month. Absolutely wow, delicious. Wow, that's fantastic. That was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Remember to call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy and the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Corrie, you are grumpy. 
I'm grumpy, Caro. I don't know whether you were listening to Radio National this week, a most interesting uh, passive-aggressive interview between Barnaby Joyce, the leader of the Nationals, and uh, Fran Kelly, the host of Radio National Breakfast. I've seen some of Barnaby's work this week. Oh, my my goodness. I know I'm often grumpy about Barnaby Joyce, Caro. We did have a little lull there when he was... um, he he was not in favour for a couple of years, but I'm back on the on the Barnaby case. The day after the release of of the IPCC report, which is probably the most important international report on the world's environment, like ever, <laughs> the federal government, in its wisdom, gives the okay for Barnaby Joyce to be their go-to person, their kind of spokesperson. Why not the Minister for Environment, Susan Lee? Why not the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, Angus Taylor? Indeed, given the seriousness, Carol, of this report, why not even Scott Morrison himself so Australians can be reassured there is a plan that is, that we know that Australia is capable of dragging itself up from the bottom of the ladder because that's where we sit at the moment? It, honestly, Barnaby came on all all guns blazing. He was in a rage. It was a very bad interview on his part. Fran kept saying, have you read the report? He clearly had not. Um, He refused to answer that question. It was just, um, I I found it an incredibly difficult, um, difficult interview. He was not the right person for the job. And he said, you must lay down a plan, he kept saying, if we're going to have zero emissions by 2050. And he kept saying, what is the plan? And as Fran said, with respect, Mr Joyce, you are the Deputy Prime Minister of the country. It's your government you're asking to come up with the plan. You are the government. You should be leading things. I mean, I was in, I was screaming at the little wireless. Anyway, that's my grumpy. It was just such a bad performance. And as Greta Thunberg said the other day, bless her, this is a scientist report. It's about facts about the planet and global warming. It's now up to governments to come up with answers, and it's about communities to do the work. Well, God help us if Barnaby Joyce is the deputy leader of this government. And his refusal to stand up to that rogue MP, anti-vaxxer, who um, believes that um, COVID is all a conspiracy. Look, honestly, he's been disappointing on many levels. A very good grumpy, Corrie. But now it's time for six quick questions again for the wonderful Red Energy, Corrie. Caro, which commentator improved his or her reputation and skill set during the Olympics? Look, I reckon a few of them did, but Ian Thorpe is a special commentator. Started off a bit quiet. I was frustrated until I realised that everything he said was correct and all his predictions were correct. Thought he was wonderful. Saw a whole new side of Ian Thorpe. And as an actual commentator... Do you think it was the slow and quiet... Sorry, I was going to say, do you think it was the slow and quiet delivery of Ian's that put us off a bit? Look, at first I just wanted him to be a bit more excited, but then I realised he was being himself and he was wonderful. I thought Dave Colbert did a brilliant mm. job with the athletics, who I've known, for, I first covered him, you know, in the long jump back at the, um, I think it was the Auckland Commonwealth Games back in 1990. Um, and I really enjoyed Tamsin Lewis as well. Um, so there was a lot of great work done. Alistair Nicholson showed how versatile he is, particularly enjoyed his work on the hockey. And of course, um, no substitute for brilliance, Bruce McAvaney. So some great work <laughs> done by many, many commentators. Corrie, will Prince Andrew's reputation survive the Virginia Roberts lawsuit? Did he even have a reputation? <laughs> I was about to say that. that you took my gag. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, he, well, there is no reputation and it will not survive. He has, he's hiding, dare I say, Caro, on the Windsor Estate mansion he shares with his ex-wife Sarah Ferguson and um, he really does need to stand up. There is now a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit that's been filed in New York against him by one of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers, the Virginia Roberts, who says that alleges all of this happened when she was still a minor. But um, yep. And if, if there's no more proof than the bells of London, the bells have, the church bells of Westminster Abbey, Caro, will not be tolling on Prince Andrew's birthday. It has just been concern, confirmed. I don't know whether that's a big thing in your life, Caro, but traditionally 
members, senior members of the royal family have had the bells on their birthday, not Andrew, not this year. The church is saying, of course, that it reviews every year the senior royals who get the bell toll, but it won't be Andrew. His public dis- disgrace is pretty almost complete, isn't it? I think it is. Caro, should cricket be an Olympic sport? Certainly not, Corrie. I don't know why they're pushing for it. I think it's time to get rid of tennis and golf as well. I never approved of tennis being back in. Golf looks crazy. If the sports that are in the Olympics, that this is not the pinnacle, then they shouldn't be there. It's just not an Olympic sport. I mean, the British Open is the pinnacle, or the US Masters for golf. Wimbledon or the Australian Open or the French Open or the US Open is a pinnacle for tennis, not an Olympic gold medal, ditto cricket, and not, a, not enough countries take part anyway, so no. Now, Corey, I've been fascinated by this story, the jocks on Frillo MasterChef judge who has got a book out now that was rather discredited in the Good Weekend last week. I see Simon and Schuster are threatening to sue the age and the Sydney Morning Herald, Nine Media. Will his reputation survive that article? And will it affect book sales? Well, unlike Prince Andrew, actually, I think, Caro, you could say that Jock's reputation will probably survive. In fact, it may even indeed be enhanced. Because, of course, Simon and Schuster have the great defence, which is the last shot, which is the name of the uh, memoir, is exactly that. It's a memoir, which by definition is an historical account written from the personal knowledge of the subject that's writing it. So if this is Jocks on Frillo's recollections of various conversations and events and he stands by them, then that should probably do it, unless somebody, of course, wants to sue. And I'm not sure that will be happening. I don't know. It sounds like Marco um, Pierre really White has said he's just fabricated <laughs> huge chunks of um, the story. But would it be something that you'd want to go to court over? If it wasn't damaging to you, and I must say what I've seen of the book, Marco Pierre comes out pretty well, actually. So would you want to sue? So who's going to test it? Because you've got to test these things in a court of law. It's a really interesting case, but gosh, it was a good story. I read every word, didn't you? It was fascinating. It was fascinating. He didn't come across as... Well, as they said, a rather Walter Mitty sort of character. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the, um, the upshot of all of that. Caro, should the grand final stay at the MCG with or without the crowds? Look, I'm beginning to think, even though I enjoyed the Olympics despite the non-crowds, and I'm really missing them at the moment, um, I don't think it can work without any crowd at all, and particularly um, if... if Mark McGowan, the Premier you were very complimentary of earlier in the show, is prepared to have full crowds there and they can quarantine and play the game and they maybe have a bye the week leading up to the grand final. I think really it's going to work a lot better with a massive crowd. And the MCG will lose, obviously, um, something it's contracted to have, but I think that extend the contract by another year back up into the 20, you know, 2050s or some, some stage. And um, I think really it's going to be a lot better with a lot of people there. But if you can get 25,000 at the G, I'd keep it at the G. Corrie, oh, and they would all be Melbourne supporters, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, if Melbourne make it, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, how dreadful if Melbourne did make it and they have to play oh, it somewhere else. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would work for them. Corrie, it was Enid Blyton's birthday this week, August 11, in fact. Give us your favourite Enid series. Oh, Carol, look, I was a big Noddy fan, I have to say. I read all the Noddy books. But of, of the one that I guess really hooked me into reading and I couldn't wait to graduate to the next bunch, uh, the next book each time and then indeed from Famous Five to Secret Seven, The Famous Five and that first book, Five on a Treasure Island, which I still recommend to little readers. It was published in 1942, for goodness sake. So we have to remember that um, some stories are eternal. But the, 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 the little gang of Julian and Dick and Anne and George and the little dog whose name has escaped me at the Timmy. moment. Timmy. Uh, Timmy the dog, correct, Amondo. Aunt Fanny, um, Uncle Quentin. I just, I just <laughs> loved, I loved, I loved, I loved. And most of the stories took place during their school holidays. And, of course, that's, I think, when I probably really hit the reading as well. I remember school holidays when we weren't going away anywhere, which was once a year. 
um, was always straight down to the library and stacking up on books and never was I happier than that than that time and the famous five really took me through so many adventures of girl gangs boy gangs mixed gangs you know as I said onto the secret seven which was Enid's other favorite onto the Sadler's Wells books and all the ballet shoes books oh you know I, I just became hooked I love Enid I love her contribution and she's still relevant and kids still love her I love the boarding school series too, you know, Mallory Towers oh, yeah. and St. Clair's. Yes. Well, and that was the podcast. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, they were good. And obviously the magic faraway tree. How can we forget? Um, Corrie, that was um, lovely to catch up with you, even though we've had to do it remotely. We'll be in the studio yeah, at some stage, that. I hope. But thank you, everyone. Thank you to Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and, of course, the Prince Wine Store. Please connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. If you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. That email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And listen in for our bonus footy-tipping episode later in the week. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Home Style with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.